Well, hello, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Stewardship Simplified podcast. Rick Wheeler here, and we have a special episode for you today. We did something a little different. Recently, I was interviewed by two friends on the Replant Bootcamp podcast. Uh, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart lead that podcast and uh, wanted me to uh, join them for an episode where we talked about everything from stewardship in the smaller to normative sized church. Uh, we get into internal controls. We talk about budgeting and just a wide variety of things, leadership and some other things. And so we thought we would just uh, bring that podcast to you here on uh, our platform. And so we hope that you'll enjoy it. And just remember here at Stewardship Simplified, we are helping people maximize kingdom resources by following God's plan. So without further delay, here's my conversation on the Replant Bootcamp podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp podcast, the boots on the ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at it again, Bob. I hope you're ready for the next episode. We're home from traveling Arizona, Illinois with the Revive Conference and super excited to get to be back in our own domicile just for a little bit before we each hit the road for various reasons yet again. Yeah, and I just want to say Whoopig Suey, Jimbo. The Razorbacks took down Kansas, and I was resting on my couch with the Pitbull pups, and they were sleeping, and I was watching the uh, game. So I was, was pretty happy coming home from our events. We had great events, by the way, which was yeah. was awesome in uh, Arizona, and then also in Illinois. And you, Jimbo, you got to you probably get the best rental car I think I've ever seen. Yeah, especially for Arizona, I got a brand new. Toyota 4Runner TRD Off-Road Pro with 500 miles on it. And man, I I kept seeing the mountains and I I just kept being tempted just to throw that thing in four-wheel drive and see how far I could get up the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. I got a a Mercedes that was kind of a combo between a Taurus and a Corolla. And it was, it was not that great. (laughs) I will say that. Now, hey, lest, lest we lead our listeners to think that we're just blowing CP and North American Mission Board money on those things, I just want to, we need to clarify that you and I rent so many cars that we are in the higher echelons of the Hertz Gold Club, which means we can get a really fancy car for a cheap price. Yeah, for the same price as a... Same price as a regular rental. Yeah. We should put that we should put that out there since we've got a, a guest on talking about a particular topic today. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, our guest today is a friend of mine that I was looking at. We've been friends now for uh, nine years, and mm-hmm. he's been a friend and a mentor. As a matter of fact, he was my first phone call when I was moving from New Orleans to Jacksonville. I knew that uh, associations were such a great thing, and I knew I needed to connect with my local association. And so Rick Wheeler at that time was the director of missions for the Jacksonville Baptist Association. And then he was even on the team that helped change that name, whether you like that name or not, of associational missional strategist. And so if you hate that name, you can you can blame Rick for that. No, I think it was a great move. And, and many people often do. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've learned just an immense amount from Rick over the years and grateful for his investment into my life. And so I'm excited to have him on the podcast. But you're in a 
You're in a different role now. Tell us just briefly about the role that you're in now. I will. Thank you. And thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm obviously I'm friends with you guys, known you a long time, big fans of not just this podcast, but more significantly what you do in your ministry across North America. It's an important work. It's a work that is desperately needed. And I think you guys are making a big dent. And so grateful for what you do. And you obviously rent a lot more cars than I do because the most exotic thing I usually get from Hertz is a Chevy Malibu. Congrats on that, on that status level you've got going on. Yeah, I, you know, the Lord has kind of brought me through a very circuitous route to this, as you know, many of us have. I was uh, out of college. I had a finance degree, spent about a decade in banking, commercial banking and uh, retail banking. The best thing I got out of my finance career was my wife. We met working for a regional bank here in Florida and we're married in 1993. Spent about a decade doing that. And then around the late 90s, uh, after kind of taking experiencing God and some other things. I saw the Lord kind of move us. We weren't really going in the wrong direction, but it was like we were ready to move into the kind of the vocational ministry world. Went to seminary and uh, ended up coming back on staff at a church here in Jacksonville, Florida that I had been a member of and actually was ordained as a deacon and served on staff there for about three years and then had the privilege of working with the Florida Baptist Convention. I know y'all have Bob Bumgarner on from time to time as a special guest and got to work with Bob. And that was just a real growing and stretching time, kind of putting me in the consultative role of coming alongside churches across the state of Florida. And then in 2011, I had the chance, my my wife said, Rick, I I love what you're doing, but you need to not be gone so much. And so our girls were younger at that stage of life and I needed to not be traveling. And so localized here in the Jacksonville area and I served a network of churches of about, about 200 in a variety of contexts. Did that for about eight years, and then in twenty late 2019 and beginning in 2020, moved to our what what has historically been known as a foundation, a Baptist foundation. We're the Florida Baptist Foundation. We kind of go by the the name of Stewardship Simplified now, and the whole idea is we come alongside churches, and we take that which is daunting sometimes in the financial world and simplify it. So we want to help churches financially thrive. We don't want them to be stuck missionally in the area of finances. A lot of times, God's put a well, every time God's put a call on a church to move the Great Commission forward and advance in their mission causes. And sometimes finances get in the way of that personally, as families and as a church. And so we want to come and help remove those barriers, help churches financially thrive and more important, missionally thrive in the Great Commission work that God's called them to do. So that's a little bit of background and kind of how the Lord's brought me to lead Florida Baptist Financial Services. Rick, that's awesome. And I'm so thankful that you're doing what you're doing in Florida. Hear great things that are, are taking place there. When we think about stewardship in the church, most of the time we th- just think about it at kind of in a limited way. Okay. Receiving money, being responsible with money and those sorts of things. You, you have a little bit broader definition of, of stewardship, don't you? And could you share that with us? Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it really is, I think, a very limited approach to it. And so what we try to do is help a church see the biblical truths that that kind of undergird this. The short answer to your question is it's not about fundraising. It's about Jesus following. And so we many times characterize the idea of stewardship in the church as just about, OK, we need some money. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about giving and hopefully get the offerings up. If that's what you're doing, A, it's not effective, B, it's not biblical, it's, it's just not how Jesus approached the topic. And so we want it to help see that, first of all, you've got to meet people where they are. The average North American is pretty messed up financially, okay? Not all of us, but the average North American. We spend more than we make, 
on average, about 100, depending on which research you look at, 110 to 115% of annual income, people spend more than they make. They're burdened with installment loan debt, you know, car, car loan debt, student debt, credit card debt. And so if we're not kind of coming in and talking about what does the Bible say about how we approach money management in the area of finances. And and there's some great helps out there. I've been certified and involved with Crown Ministries, Compass Ministries. I know Dave Ramsey does a great help in there, but we can't really outsource that as a church. I mean, we have to own that because, and here's why, Jesus talked about it so much. Yeah. You know, people have been doing this research for a long time, but there's over 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal in some fashion about stewardship or money. 11 of Jesus's parables helped us understand or used stewardship or money as a a way to understand a biblical truth. And so here's what Jesus knew. Jesus is not concerned about our money, but he is concerned about our heart. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if we don't address the issue of finances, we're leaving so much of people's spiritual walk aside. We've got to incorporate that about what it means to be obedient to Christ in the area of our finances and factor that into what it means to be a disciple and just being obedient to Jesus. I love that approach of thinking of it as discipleship rather than just saying, hey, how do we make sure we raise enough money to pay the bills or build this next building or give money so that we can meet this budget? But really, it's about our following Jesus and what he's called us to do and the way that he's called us to view money. One of the things that I've seen in kind of a consultative role is a lot of times when I come into a church and I am by no means someone you want auditing your finances, but just just in conversations, I'll hear things that I'll go, okay, that does not, it's either, that's either unwise or it's a lack of integrity. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what all the laws are, but I hear things and I think, man, how so many smaller normative sized churches, churches in decline, if I have witnessed so many practices of handling finances that just don't seem right. And I guess my, th- my thought is if I'm noticing that, then man, someone who understands finances better than I do would probably have an even higher alarm going off in their head when they hear and see some of the things that I see. So how do we as smaller churches think through walking with wisdom and integrity when it comes to finances. And just as a funny example, I remember early on, you know, we had a process at the church that God allowed me to be a part of replanting where the deacons would come, they'd pass the offering place, they'd get to the back and they'd all get there and they'd put it in the money bag and two guys would then go walk and put it into the safe together. And, you know, we had this older deacon, you, you knew him, Mr. Alfonso. And somebody looked at Alfonso and was just joking and said, oh, is this the part where we take our share out of the finances? And Alfonso said, you take as much as you think you can get away with. And- <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not the narrative you want out there about how you handle finances, right? <laughs> yeah. And we all know stories like that. We all can be kind of almost comical or passive, you know, about you know, just joking about it. But the reality is, I mean, Jesus took it very seriously. I think I think we should take it pretty seriously. And it has a lot to do with just the, the financial accountability that we have. And, and it really speaks a lot about how we how seriously we take all of the stewardship of our time, our talent, our resources, everything. And so, you know, the thing I would say as church leaders and particularly pastors, the three of us here on this podcast, we have a lot of seminary in our background. You're not going to get a lot of this kind of training in a, a ministry vocational pathway. And so you're either going to need to get that on your own or you're going to need to bring in people, uh, train up people within your church who can add that and complement your leadership 
I would just say be intentional, first of all, about how you approach this. I think one of the biggest mistakes we see leaders make is they just kind of take a hands-off approach. It's it let other people deal with that. I'll deal with the spiritual and other people. Well, that's fine, except for how many, re- how much of the red letters in the New Testament Jesus is talking about this. And so if we're just going to give it the fair treatment that Jesus gave it, we're going to be intentional about this. We're going to talk about it in the new members class. We're going to, when we come across a passage and we're preaching through the gospels, we don't avoid those texts. We, we kind of plow into them and just say, Lord, what do you have for us here? So just make talking about stewardship issues normative in your normal conversations about what it means to follow Jesus is what I would generally say. Now, with respect to financial controls, I do think it's probably one of the most common areas of problems. We all know stories where there have been large amounts of monies that have been embezzled from churches. Most of the time, when you trace back to how that happened, there was a lack of financial control. And let me just be specific about what I mean by financial control. So there's two or three very basic accounting principles that all churches should employ. It's going to look a little different. You know, here's the good thing about your story you told. At least there were multiple deacons back there handling the money when they kind of told that joke. So it wasn't just a deacon back there handling the money. So that's that's the idea of dual control, right? Anytime you're handling money, reconciling bank statements, you want two sets of eyes two sets of hands because it's not your money. It's it's other it's God's money, but it's money that's been entrusted to the ministry of the church. And so you want to have with issues of financial reports, invoices, bank statements, payroll, you want another set of eyes looking on that beyond the person who's actually doing it. So that's what we mean by dual control. The other is kind of separation of duties, which means the same person who writes the checks is not the same one who opens the invoices or, you know, looks at, makes the financial reports. And so certain people do certain things, other people do other things. And so you separate those duties so that there's a control. Not one person has control of the, the giving all the way through the financial process from the moment of giving. All, of course, most of that's done digitally, you know, electronically now to the point of cutting a check or, you know, hitting the, the send button on a payment. So dual control and it just having separation of duties handles a lot of that. Unfortunately, it's a lot more common in our churches to have sloppy, maybe the best the best word, because I don't think most yeah. of it's intentional. I think we just don't pay attention to it. And so I was telling the story briefly about we have a third party ministry that we work with sometimes that does bookkeeping services for churches. And they were telling me about having onboarded dozens and dozens of churches across the country into their accounting system, that every time they've onboarded a church, and these, by the way, these aren't just small churches. These are churches of all sizes. But there was there was at least things that were being done that were improper, and actually sometimes things that were illegal that were happening. Now, I don't think the, the illegal things were intentional. I think they were just things that were being overlooked or not there was an attention being given to them. But, you know, the thing I would impress is, you know, Pastor, you are not only the spiritual shepherd of the church, but you are also the leader of a 501c3. And like it or not, I know in Jesus's eyes, the church is a spiritual reality. And we, we get that. We understand our ecclesiology. But how many times have you heard a church either get stuck or actually explode through conflict and, and other things simply because there was a financial problem in the church. You just want to avoid those things. If it can be avoided, just practice good rhythms and skills and things in the church so that you can avoid those problems. 
Rick, one of the realities is we work with churches that are single staff, churches that have have small congregations, limited number of volunteers with expertise. And you might find a trusted person, a faithful member who who has executed their responsibilities as treasurer or bookkeeper for for quite some time and done done a great job. But maybe we become aware of either process or some issues that require a transition. How does a single staff pastor who's a replanter, revitalizer, how how does he begin to communicate to people who are are fine with old Bill or old Sue, who've been the, been the ones who write checks or cut checks and those things. And then, and then also, I, I think one of the things we see is, is sometimes if old Bill or old Sue are on vacation or unavailable, the church is kind of in a pinch at times. Yep. yep. Give some wisdom to the guy who might find himself in that situation, how to navigate to a different place. Well, I'll, I'll give a little bit of thought on how to approach the conversation and then maybe some strategies on, on what to do. But, you know, if, if it's just such a sensitive topic to talk about, like it's insulting to that person, you know, we, whether or not it should be, to even talk about, hey, we need to put in some more controls and more people involved with this process. Bring in an outside voice. You know, let let your, if you're a, a Southern Baptist church, you know, bring in somebody from your state convention uh, or your Baptist foundation like us or somebody who can come in and just kind of talk about financial controls. There's some good handbooks out there. Uh, there's one that the executive committee has published for years called the Church Financial Handbook that covers all of the things that I'm talking about. So in other words, you, you kind of take it out of the personal attack realm and into, hey, this is just what objective wisdom is in the area of finances. This is what smart people who, who deal with money all the time said we should be doing. What do you? How do you read this? What you know, Just kind of present it that way. So bring in outside sources to have the conversation. The other is I, you know, rather than trying to you know remove somebody from an office or limit them in some way, just build things around them. Meaning those accountability structures aren't meant to necessarily remove somebody, but to add support. And the other thing is just let them know, like, hey, right now, if an accusation were to occur, you wouldn't have any backup. You would mm-hmm. be left defenseless against any sort of an accusation. But what I'm trying to do is save and help your reputation and your integrity so that there's not even the appearance of anything being done in an improper way. So those would be some of the the general ways I would try to approach it. I was talking with a pastor in another state, and he was telling me about a church they were looking at potentially taking on as a replant. And the finances, everything to do with the finances was handled by the secretary. Everything was tracked on her yellow legal pad and in a way that wasn't really coherent. And so he was trying to, you know, as they were considering replanting this church, taking it on, they were looking at the finances of it that also operated a school that the school had about a million dollar budget for the year, but the church was only about 10 people and they all shared finances and it's all on the legal pad and it's and it's all over the place. And the way they managed their budget was literally like, you know, is there money in the bank? Then, you know, because they didn't really do a lot of activity with only 10 people. And so uh, obviously they needed greater senses of control, but also just need an understanding of how do, how do we think about a church budget? And, you know, the Bible gives us some spiritual principles and even some wisdom principles on handling our finances, but neither the Bible nor seminary will usually give you very specific details on how to view a budget, what to do with a budget, how to operate a budget. What wisdom would you have for smaller normative sized churches as they think about their annual budget? Yeah. So there, I think there is some wisdom there, but as we're thinking about the financial controls and a budget is a financial control document, it kind of helps give some guidance and supervision. You know, I would also say, make sure you're communicating with your church 
about the things that you're doing to apply financial controls and wisdom and accountability in your church. There's very strong research that says when people know that this ministry or this church is handling finances in a responsible way, and there is backup and there's accountability, there are controls in place, guess what? Giving goes up. People actually feel more generous to an organization, including churches, uh, and churches don't get a pass on this. You know, people, you know, you'd like to think, well, you're just going to give to the Lord regardless. No, if people aren't confident that things are being handled appropriately, they're less likely to give generously. And so that's just from a practical standpoint. I know it's not like really exciting to stand up on Sunday morning and say, hey, let's talk about dual control for a second. You know, but however you communicate with your folks and in the rhythms of communication of your church, make sure you're weaving in regular times where you talk about it with some level of frequency. Hey, just so you know how things are handled around here, we have, we do everything above board. We do, we're completely transparent. Anybody can ask a legitimate question at any time, and we'll you know, we'll we'll answer to the best of our ability. Now, when it comes to specifically with a budget, and again, a lot of my experience has told me that churches either will kind of fall in two traps. One is if they have a budget, sometimes it's just some lofty number that's not very meaningful. Like, oh well, our budget's a million dollars. Well, no. No, but your church hasn't collected a million dollars in a year in a long time, if ever. And so it's not a realistic number. I've actually come into certain ministries that I was leading, and that's kind of how the budget was led in that particular ministry. And so that's not good stewardship. The other would be that the budget is like such a controlling document that it's, it is like this super bylaw thing or something where you know people use the budget to knock people over the head or things like that. And so I think having a good, healthy organizational approach to budgeting is good. And here's a little talk that somebody shared with me a long time ago. I'll just pass it along. It's not original to me, but it's been very helpful to me. And that is three things that a budget is and one thing that it is not. The first thing that a budget is, is it's a goal. It should stretch you. It should stretch you in your efforts and it should stretch your faith. If God were to show up and bless, what are the things that we believe we're believing God will do in the next season of the life of our church? If you're say planning an annual budget, and so it should it should be a goal. It should be something you're leaning towards, you're striving towards, and so it should express that effort and it should express that faith. That needs to be realistic, but it should have some faith element. I also think you should have a little bit of margin in it as well. Budgeting down to the very penny just doesn't leave any room for the Lord to work, and so try to try to give yourself a little bit of margin for spending in there. I like to call it a ministry spending plan, not a not a budget, because then that just approaches it like, hey, the Lord's called us to do some things. He's going to provide the resources. You know, it's kind of like the preacher who got up on Sunday morning and said, hey, the good news is the Lord's given us every last penny of everything we need to do all that He's called us to do. But the rest of the news is it's in your pocket and your pocket and your pocket and your pocket. You got to give it, right? And so think of it as a ministry spending plan. The second thing, in addition to being a goal, is it's a guess. Leaders operate with some level of uncertainty. And usually if you've got 60 to 70% understanding of something, it's time to move forward. And so there's always a guess that goes along with budgeting. Opportunities come up. Challenges come up. You know, pandemics come up. You know, things happen that we don't plan for. And so it's a, it's based upon our best understanding of what we believe the Lord's calling us to do and what our, our realities are. Here's where we intend to go from a spending standpoint. So it's a guess. The third thing is it's a guide. You know, life is kind of won or lost sometimes in the course corrections. 
you know, these rockets that go off from Cape Canaveral do a lot of course corrections to get to the space station or get to Mars or wherever they're trying to go. In the same way, a spending plan needs to be a guide, but a guide that can allow us to make course corrections. Oh, we're spending a little too much in here. We need to we need to let it guide us. We we have an opportunity to spend more over here. Let's not forget about that. So it guides you along the way of your spending plan throughout the year. The rest of it is though, it's a, a goal, a guess, and a guide, but it's not a god, little G God, you know. Again, we don't use this as the final say. It's Jesus's church. He gets the final say, and the budget should serve ministry. The ministry doesn't serve the budget. And so we got to kind of keep it in its place. It's an important document. It's a necessary document, but it's not the final say on how the Lord would lead us to spend money. I mean, that's super helpful, Rick, just to put it in those simple categories and, and break it down for us like that. Most of the time when we talk about stewardship, we think of just the money, the inflows and the outflows. Are there any additional areas that we need to think about in terms of overall stewardship, like property, facilities, those sorts of things? What What are some other things that we should consider as we're thinking about stewarding well, the resources God's given us? Yeah, I think hopefully the, the overall theme here is that if we're calling people in our churches to be good stewards, we as a church have to practice that from a leadership standpoint. We have to be good stewards ourselves, and they have to look to the church. I mean, the church ought to be the beacon. It ought to be the example for how to handle finances. People ought to look to the church. Well, they do it so well, we should just try to do what they do. So practice good stewardship in your church, meaning utilize the things, be good managers of the things that God has put into entrusted to us. And so for most churches, particularly smaller typical size churches in convention, usually, not always, but usually the, the most valuable asset you're going to have is your real estate, okay? It's going to be your property, your buildings. And so the thing I would probably say in terms of thinking about stewardship as a church is ask questions about how you're leveraging, how you're utilizing your facilities. Are you utilizing them well? You guys probably see it and have more stories than I do, but I know even in my church resourcing days, there's a lot of times where we see a church in a community and the buildings are run down. There's been deferred maintenance. There's been just things that have gone on. The roof's not in good shape. There's been paint needed. Just, you know, things don't look good. But what does that say about the gospel witness of that church in the community? What does it say about the God we serve? I know you guys have talked a lot about those kinds of things. And so think about, be creative. I mean, even as a smaller church, you can be creative to think about how you're utilizing your resources. Is there another church or a church plant that you would want to partner with in your city that might could share space with you? Maybe a language church or a number of, of churches. You guys probably know, I know several churches where there's more than two churches that are sharing a facility. It all can kind of help share in the, the burden, if you will, or the upkeep and the the costs associated with maintaining those facilities. There might be a ministry need in your community that you could host at your facility, uh, maybe a, a preschool or daycare. And you, know, you have to tread wisely in those, those dimensions, but there may be a way you can meet a need in a community, generate more income for your church and help maintain your facilities. And so the thing I would say, just you know, practice good stewardship. You know, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, teaches us it doesn't matter if it's little or much, Stewardship is stewardship, and Jesus expects the same amount of stewardship from us, whether it's one talent or five talents. And there's actual evaluation done of how we've done with that. And so I would say, don't just because you think you're in a, a smaller church environment and, well, we don't have a million dollars, we don't have this, that, or the other, you have something. You, ha you have things that the Lord's put in your hands. And if I'm reading my Bible correctly, we will give an account for how well we have stewarded everything that, that the Lord has entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. 
Man, that's such a good word, Rick. I appreciate you taking the time to share with us just to recap some of the things that we hit today is one, when we view stewardship, this is not just about fundraising, but it's about following Jesus and making disciples and helping us follow the commands that Jesus gives us because he talked a lot about money and scripture. And so we need to be obedient to the commands that he's given us and the wisdom that he's given us. But also in wisdom, we need to have wise control of how money is handled and how decisions are made to try to prevent even unintentional illegal or improper activity, but certainly also intentional. There just need to be the the things there that can help protect us from that. And then on a budget, I love that. A budget is a goal, it's a guess, and it's a guide, but it is not a God. And stewardship isn't just about money. It's, I mean, stewardship is about anything that God has entrusted us with and that we be wise with that. Rick, thank you for taking the time to be on the Replant Bootcamp with us today. So glad that we got to have you. My pleasure, guys. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.